Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the premiere episode of Hollywood Swinging with myself, your host, Stephen Bishop, and my always debonair and dapper co-host, Jerry Hairston Jr., a.k.a. the J-Hey Kid, a.k.a. the Denzel Doppelganger, a.k.a. the Legacy. Jerry, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Steve. You know, I, I, that intro never gets old. Uh, I, I know the Denzel thing may shake some people, but again, it's not me saying it. It's just when I'm around town in L.A., you know, it could be a person 98 years old squinting. Is that Denzel? No, no, no. I'm Jerry. But yeah. again, it's not me saying it. It's just the, the older people in L.A. for some reason uh, think I look like Denzel. I, I don't think so. Well, well, hey, you know, everybody gets their, their, their doppelgangers. And, and perhaps if you look closely and squint, you're Denzel's doppelganger and he and he yours. But let's talk about something else right now, Jerry. This is all the theme of today's show is this right here. Let me show you <laughs> the goat. So. Our guest today needs no introduction, absolutely no introduction whatsoever. However, since the introduction is so freaking impressive. I'm going to do it anyway, Jerry. Our guest today is a 22-year Major League veteran, a 14-time All-Star, a seven-time MVP. Only one other man in the history of the big four in American sports has won more MVPs, and that's the great one, Wayne Gretzky in hockey. A eight-time Gold Glove winner, a 12-time Silver Slugger Award winner, a two-time batting champion, and the only man in the history of baseball to have 500 home runs and 500 steals. Okay, and now we're not, we're not even going to talk about his college career at Arizona State where he was an All-American and voted to the all-time College World Series team. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today, the GOAT, the greatest player to ever put spikes in dirt, Mr. Barry Bonds. Barry, how you doing today? It was long. It was long, right? Yeah, it's long. I don't even remember. And I didn't even get in I didn't <laughs> even get into the major league record home runs 762, the major league record for a single season 73 home runs, the major league record 2558 career walks, uh the 609 on base percentage for a single season, the 863 slugging percentage for a single season. These are major league records. It's it's incredible. I, I'm just glad we had him muted when you called me the Denzel Washington doppelganger because Barry almost <laughs> fell out in his chair because I saw him. But, yeah, those those numbers are impressive. I incredible career, Barry. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> That's fun. Now, now, listen, Steven, I got a chance to play uh, against the greats. I played in, in the late 90s, and my last year was 2013. So I played against Mike Trout. I played against Ken Griffey Jr. I played against – Clayton Kershaw, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson. So I've played in the, in the older era, and I played in the new era where the stars are the stars. But again, the best players that my eyes have ever seen, two guys, and I think Barry would agree with me, is Barry Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr. They had not only a, a presence or an aura about them, they had the substance to back it up. And Barry Bonds, without question, and, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking Albert Pujols, I'm not knack, knocking Manny Ramirez, you know, Ted Williams, I'm not knocking them. They're incredible. But 
Barry was the only player that I ever played against on the field. Like he was like the high school kid, his like a senior high, in high school playing against seventh graders. I'm not exaggerating. Every time he took the field, every time he stepped in the batter's box, he made us feel like we were seventh graders. And he got one pitch to hit in a series. I remember when I was with the Cubs, he, Barry was yelling at me. I was playing second base. We kept walking him. He gets to second base. He goes, Jerry, you ever got, you guys ever want to throw to, throw, to, throw to me at all? I go, no, it ain't going to happen. Finally, Dusty gave him one pitch, that whole series, splash landing in, in, in San Diego. And I'm, I'm sitting there in, in, excuse me, San Francisco. He's rounding. I'm yelling at him. That's why we don't pitch to you. One pitch that series, he hit it 500 feet. So when you have that kind of a, you know, an acumen at a sport, Barry, did, does it feel like you are the greatest every day that you walk out there? Does it? I remember once I asked you, why are you the best player in the game? And I'll tell people the answer you gave me later. But when you're out there, did it feel like you were a man playing amongst children? Or, I mean, how did it feel? No, no, not at all. It's the competition. It's just a level of competition. Playing, just playing the game at a certain level. I mean, I try to tell people all the time, I was very lucky to have my father and Willie Mays with me 24 hours a day. You know, I, I help out a lot of kids and a lot of players um, today. And, you know, I always explain to them that I was very lucky. I had two great instructors all the time. I, I didn't have to figure things out. They figured it out for me. You know, I didn't have to really think about the things that most everyday players have to think about and have to try to figure it out on their own within their, their coaching staffs or whatever. And they may know more than their coaching staffs. They may know less. It doesn't matter. But I had what I feel was the best of the best. My dad and Willie, my father can pick apart any pitcher, anything. And all I had to do was just implement it. You know, I just had to just put it and then as I was maturing, because I always try to tell people, this is a process, you know, this is a long process and you mature every year and you find out things about yourself every year and you'll get better. And if you don't, there's a problem, there's something missing. Um, and so I've always also realized that, you know, my off season training was way more important than the season, because if you're trying to figure out things during the season, it's just too late. You, you should be fine-tuning things during the season, more so than trying to figure things out during the season. And that, Jerry, is, one of the, is the answer to the question, why are you the best player in baseball? The answer he gave me when I was in his gym at his house in Murrieta, we were working out, and I'll tell you that story in a minute. I asked him that question. He said, because I work harder than everybody else. These guys take a couple of months off after the season's over and they go on their vacations and they do what they do. I take two weeks and then I'm back at it and I, I work as hard as I do to get ready for the next season as I do at any time of the year. And that was that was the answer that he gave me. And, and you know, it, it makes a lot of sense if you stay doing it and you keep working, even with the talent that you were blessed with and the instruction that you were blessed with, it, you're bound to be at, at an advanced level all the time. Well, if you want to keep up at that high level, guys, I mean, you're talking professional level with any sport. To keep up, you've got to always keep challenging yourself. You always have to keep working on your skill because it can, it, people can jump at any time and, and the level could change at any time. And if you're not prepared for those changes, then, you know, if you're taking time off, it's like 
you know, I got to get my arm ready again if I took three months off. I got to do this again. And you can lose things. So I kind of didn't want to ever lose that momentum. As I say, it's just that momentum of consistency and that momentum of learning and then, and then maturing and then implementing it on the field. You may not remember this. In, in 2004, I remember you, I was with the Orioles in 2004. San Francisco came to Baltimore. And I remember you working out early in our weight room. And I remember you having a conversation with David Sagi, and I kind of piggybacked, kind of listening in. And I remember seeing how hard you worked before the game. You know, I used to always kind of work out. You know, I'd work out after the game, or I'd make sure I'd work out. If I had an off day, I'd, I'd really get my workout in. You said you wanted to maintain your flexibility, your strength, even, even knowing you're going to get four or five at-bats and play left field. And I remember you having a, a conversation with David and myself. I was a young player then. You said, yes, the strength is great, but my mental, the way I prepare myself mentally, when I step up to the plate, right before I walk up to the plate, as I'm walking up to the plate, you say in your mind, I'm the best hitter in the world. I don't care if Frank Thomas is in Chicago. I don't care if Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. is in Seattle. Right now, as I'm walking up to the plate, I'm the best hitter in the world. And I stole that from you. I was hitting about a buck 30 at that time. It was early in the season. And I ended up hitting 300 that year for the first time in my career, 303, because I said, you know what? I'm going to lie to myself. I'm better than Barry Bonds. I'm better than Ken Griffey Jr. at this moment. And just for you saying that, I go, I'm going to steal that from Barry. Now, obviously, I'm not Barry Bonds. I'm not Ken Griffey Jr. But if I can be that mentally, I give myself the best chance to succeed. And I just remember how powerful your mind was, obviously, to go along with your skills. Well, yeah, Jerry, what I meant by that is that I learned that from Tony Gwynn. I always, you know, I always go back to Tony Gwynn and, and, and you know, he's, he was one of my, my idols as well as so many others during the course. But, you know, I remember in San Diego with Tony Gwynn and he, Tony always had his little secret hitting things where he would close the door where you really actually couldn't see what he was doing. And I happened to be standing outside that time at the door and I'm looking through this little crack and he's, he's really just playing his game with himself and he's got these cones in places and he's playing this little hitting game with himself. And he's not, you know, he's just using the T and he's just going through mechanical things. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You know? And, and, you know, he sat there and, you know, he says, there's a yellow line here. There's yellow line here. And there's a couple of people that's already told me that too. And Tony said, Chase, and I always thought when I met by being the, the best hitter out there, Tony Gwynn to me was the best hitter. My generation, Tony Gwynn was always winning the batting title. He was always hitting 300, close to 400. So the best hitter to me was Tony Gwynn. And I said, so, you know, Tony sat there and told me one time, he said, Barry, chase the batting title. Everything else will come if you chase the batting title. And he was the best. He was the best player, best hitter, average-wise, yeah. etc. so on. Yeah, I can hit home runs, but I wasn't the best hitter. Tony Gwynn to me, at the moment was the actually best hitter. And that made sense to me. That resonated into my mind. Because, you know, if you're going to get up 500 times, you're going to get up five, 600 plate appearances, chase the batting title, chase, chase that. And with your natural power and your ability, everything else falls into place. And a lot of times we chase the fence and then that becomes, now we're hitting 200. We're chasing other things. So Tony said, don't be a 10% field hitter. Why not be a, a 70% field hitter because you can play line to line, but you can't be perfect to line to line. So you play gap to gap, right? So that's about 70% of the field, right? And so anywhere between 76, whatever that percentage is of the field, and be good there. But you got to use it all. 
right? And I was, you know, sometimes you got hitters that are just one dimension, just pull hitters that are just this. And I chased the batting title. I never, I got it twice, but I never got it a lot. I didn't, I mean, but I chased it. And chasing it was going to give me the 30, 40, 50 home runs. If I chase that, you're going to accidentally hit the balls over the fence. And it's just, it just made sense. With and it's crazy that you say that because that means that all the batting titles that Tony Gwynn won, he was actually trying to win the batting title. It wasn't like he just, he was after, after the batting title. And that's, that's, that's amazing that he did it that many times. He irked me because I was going for a triple crown in 93. <laughs> and he, he irked me because we were going at it back and forth. And then he had enough plate appearance and got hurt. And, you know, I couldn't keep that pace up. I mean, when he was playing on the field, I had that motivation, you know, like, oh, okay, Tony got a hit today. I got to get my hits. Or I got to stay and I got to walk and I do something. And then when he got hurt and it was just me by myself, and I went 0 for 2. I didn't have a margin to yeah. play with, right? I didn't have anyone to play with, but just his average. And um, I was always bummed about that, that I didn't really actually get to go head on with him. But he, he he's the best. He was the best hitter, period. When you say, when, now that we're talking about chasing the batting title and Tony Gwynn, and, and you know, you have a, a career 298 average. You know, Tony's was, was ab above 300. And... I, I want to know how you feel about the state of the union when it comes to hitting now. I feel as though I would bet money that over the last 10 years across the board from high school to the major leagues, the collective batting average has dropped be, because of this, because of this launch angle, chasing fly balls, get the ball in the air mentality. And the hitter is no longer chasing the batting title. How do you feel about the state of the union and the direction that hitting is going right now? I don't blame players. I mean, you can't really blame players. Major League Baseball dictates what goes on, and the players just adapt. You know, when in my generation, you don't hit close to 300. You ain't even in the major yeah. leagues. I mean, you ain't getting in the major leagues hit 220 or 230 or, you know, that. You're not, you're not, you're not making it. Um, so the game has changed, and they've just adapted to the to the changes of the game, and that's what is, has excited the fans. Um, you know, is it is it wrong for for me? It wouldn't work for me personally. I want to hit three hundred. I my generation is different. I mean, but if you told me I can hit two ten and hit twenty home runs and make two hundred million dollars, I'll hit two ten and make two hundred two hundred million dollars. You know, these guys are making two hundred million dollars and two-year players and three-year players that, you know, we had to go through free agency. So do I fault the players? No, the, the players are the ones who make the money for the, for MLB and the owners. They, they deserve every penny they get. I get that. The only thing different of my time to this time is when they, you know, I do get this question a lot. It's like, you know, you know, that we always have the competition with players. Uh, oh, could you play in our generation? I'm like, yeah, I could play in your generation. I, matter of fact, I'd kill your generation. Yep. They're like, oh, you all you old players think that you can do this. Not that we think we can do it. We know we can do it. It's not a difference because, it, you know, now there's so much on speed with the pitchers, you know, and plus the pitchers don't last but three innings nowadays or whatever. But everyone in the bullpen or everyone in the pitching staff throws 95 miles an hour, so they don't have to adapt. Yep. My generation, you make a specialist that throws – 64 mile an hour curveball or you know the changes of speeds are a lot different in my generation and then you had a specialist or a closer that threw 100 
I got I tried to tell him, you don't think we have guys that throw 100 miles an hour? We have guys that throw 100 miles an hour too. No big deal. The harder you throw it, the further it goes. I don't really care. You know, but if you all are going to throw 95 miles an hour and you all are going to be behind in the count, I'm going to beat you. I don't care who you are. Like I'm 58 years old and I don't care how hard you throw, I can still hit it. Now, can I hit it as far? No, I'm not in physical shape to do that. But can I hit the baseball? For sure. In this generation, is it, e is it, is it a little bit easier? Sure. Why? Because you guys just take batting practice. Pretty much. Nobody gets hit. Yep. Nobody gets knocked down. If you, if, you, if you tell me I can go up to the plate, swing a baseball bat, flip it into the stands, high five every single body up there and not get my head taken off, I'm going to hit a home run almost every time up. Me, I had to get in the plate, hit a home run, and come up the next at bat, not even flip my bat or do anything, and know that I'm definitely still going to get hit, regardless. So I have to either stay in the box, learn how to dodge it, and swing a bat at the same time. It's just different. It's just a different era. Do I think a player should get hit because they flip their bats or whatever? No, I don't think a player should get hit. I mean – your chances of hitting home runs are still slim based on the, the amount of bats that you do get, you know? And if a pitcher makes a mistake, eat it and move on. You know what I mean? But at the same time, you got to keep a hitter honest and you also got to keep a pitcher honest. And, and the, the competitive edge of that, I enjoy. That, that competition of, oh, you want to come up and in, son. Okay, we might have to throw down here for a minute, but let's just, you know, but it's just a chess match. It's not really you're trying to hurt me or I'm trying to do whatever, but it's just that chess match of, I guess, focus and concentration that you have to put on yourself as a hitter, not knowing what the circumstances could be between you and that guy who technically has a weapon that can throw. I said, you guys take batting practice. So you want to be good master BP. Cause that's all you got to do is master batting practice. And that's what I do. And, and to add Barry, to add to that, uh, they just did a study in fact, guys aren't really throwing uh, harder than they were when you played in the late 80s, 90s, because now they're measuring the ball out of the hand. You know, back when I played 10 years ago, when you played, they were measuring the fastball, you know, at 10 feet from the plate as it's getting to the plate. So now, back then, if they were throwing 93 miles an hour, it would be measured at 98 miles an hour today because they're coming out of the hand. So even today, they're not throwing harder. Mm -hmm. But, but I completely agree with Barry is they're told the pitchers, hey, throw as hard as you can for four or five innings, and we're going to get you out of there. And then the next guy, you're going to throw one inning, throw as hard as you can. So there are more throwers now as opposed to pitchers. And you get a thrower out there facing Barry Bonds, uh, he's going to be sitting 2-1, 2-0 a lot of times, and then uh, game over. Yeah, it'd be a lot, it'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> 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 It'd be a lot of fun. I'm sure it would be. You know, I'm sure it would be. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about guys that throw hard and Barry being able to hit them. There's no doubt about that. If you've seen two at-bats that I can call out right now, you know Barry can hit whatever you throw up there. The, the, the two I'm thinking about are the World Series at-bat against my old college uh, alma mater mate, Troy Percival, that went about 530 feet. And the other possibly – one of the, the most classic best at bats of all time against Eric Gagne, where he fouled ball off, fouled ball off, 98 inside, fouled it off, and then he left one out there 99 miles an hour and he drilled it to right center out there probably 480. I mean, when you, when you looked at the, the uh, 
the collage that ESPN put together the year that you hit those 73 home runs, every swing, whether it went to left field, center field, or right field, every swing looked almost identical. How did you get into such a groove where no matter where the ball was pitched, you were making a very, very similar pass, a pass at the ball, and the balance was so consistent, and the, and the, even the little jab step after, after you would hit the ball to whatever field was just almost identical. How did you get so locked in? Practice? I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't really know how to answer that because I really don't know how I did it. I just practice. I mean, practice, 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 perfection, technique, 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 learning balance points, knowing your body, um, understanding um, the physics of the game, understanding the philosophy of a pitch to understanding your swing path to understanding if I make this path and the ball's at 62 miles an hour, the ball should technically only go so far on a perfect swing technique wise. Now, if he throws 80, same techniques, so the ball should travel a, a certain distance. Trying to maintain the same technique, technique, regardless of what the speed is of the baseball is very, very important because the power of the pitcher is going to dictate it. What happens is that, that if that velocity lowers, you try to compress it. And once you try to compress it, the technique fails. And then that's when you're popping it up. Like I, try, I tell everyone, I did what Tony Gwynn did and so many other great hitters before me, Rod Crew, Pete Rose, who I think great, great hitters. You know, I, I tried to take pieces from everyone. I took a little bit from the 300 to 400 hitters to the home run hitters, and I was able to create this because I had the ability to. But I try to tell guys, master batting practice. You've got a guy who sits out there, what, 60 feet, maybe 50 something feet away from you, throws about maybe maximum speed, 73 miles an hour, maybe that he's throwing and he's telling you everything that's coming right to you every single time. And you're popping this up in the cage or you're jamming yourself or you're doing this. Technique is wrong. Master batting practice with a guy who's trying to make you good. And if you can't place that ball where you want to, then technique is failing. And once you can master that technique, then it, it becomes better. It's the same thing. I'll never forget Eric Davis. He cracks me. That's my boy. And don't forget, Percival and Gagne are awesome pitchers. And I, I have a lot of love for those two guys. Percival has a lot of guts, and so does Gagne. And in both those situations, they both said, "You, if you hit it, you name it. They didn't like they didn't back down. They didn't try to pitch around. They didn't do any of that stuff. And I knew Percival because I played against him all the time in spring training. Like we, we, I mean, we're both in Scottsdale, so we went up against each other all the time. And, you know, they, they both also understand what the game doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to hit on run. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to, their job's to close the game. And in the situation, they had enough runs in the situation to where if I hit it out, it didn't really matter anyway. In theory, it didn't really matter. They still got the next guy out or whatever and won the game. But they weren't going to back down to the, to the situation. They were like, okay, Barry, mano humano. You want it? Here it comes. You can hit it? Hit it. If you can't, sit your butt down. And I didn't have a problem with that. I said, I ain't going to sit down if you're going to challenge me, son, because this ain't going to go down like that. 
you can win the game, but you ain't going to do that to me. You better throw something else other than that number one, because that's not going to happen. But I have respect for that because I knew the situation. They both knew the situation. And they said, Barry, name it. If you can't, if you, and so technique for me was very important at that moment because I knew what was going to happen and I sensed it. And so I could have swung out of my butt and popped it up or jammed myself or anything. I know Percival's throws like 97, 98 miles an hour. I know Gandhi throws 102 miles an hour. Now it's like, okay, don't get too antsy. They threw a cookie at you. What does most people do? You're going to throw a cookie. I'm going to be like, ah, and then I'm going to jam myself. They threw the cookie at me. I just wanted to hit it. And the ball just went based on their power. It did not go. I had no miracle swing out of this or anything else. I just took the bat and said, boom, you're going to throw it? Bam. And I just hit it. Their power generated the distance of the baseball. It had nothing to do with me. I think it had a little to do with you, Bear. Well, I made contact. <laughs> I yeah. made contact off a of Gagne, too. And I hit a line drive base hit. But again, Barry, I guess you're, you're extremely humble. Uh, your technique, obviously, is is better than anybody I've ever seen. So give yourself a little credit because you were on time perfectly. And I just remember that World Series for uh, Tim Salmon to say that's the furthest ball he's ever seen hit. Because, you know, Salmon, he's seen it just about all in his 20-year career. That's saying something. The best one was off of K-Rock. That's the best story. Because when we were in the World Series of uh, uh, Peter Gammons was um, we. I think we lost to Anaheim. I hit a bullet to first base um, in that series off of K Rock when he came when a young guy, yeah. young K Rock came in, and he was. They were typing him up to all of this stuff, and um, Peter Gammons came up to me and goes, "Man, what do you think of K Rock? He's da 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 da." And I almost took it as an insult. To me, going, bro, you. So you, turn, you know, I'm like doing all this. Like, who am I? And so I told Peter Gammons, I said, I'm gonna tell you something, people. I see this kid next time. I'm gonna hit this ball so so damn far. You're gonna apologize to me. And I just faced that kid in Anaheim, and I put that ball in the cloud. Mm-hmm. I went out to left field and, you know, they had the guys, all the announcers out there in the field and there, their little under their little tent. And I looked at Peter Gammons and I said, don't ever challenge me again. <laughs> and he should know, he'll know that story because I told him and I said, I got respect for that kid. Came out was really good. Dominant. But I was just like. <laughs> he took, hey, hey, Steven, he took it personal. He took it personal. I took, that was a, a only that was the only one about it took personal with Camp Peter. I didn't have anything personally against K Rod. He was nasty, and I knew he was nasty. But Peter challenged me. He took me to another level in my head and said, "I was like, no, Peter, don't go there." I mean that that's like insulting to me. <laughs> you, you know, it's amazing. We, we're talking we're talking about hitting, and obviously the, you're the best home run hitter that has ever lived. Incredible player, but. Kids need to know that you are a complete ball player. You know, you're one of the best mm-hmm. steals, uh, stolen base uh, threats of all time. Mm-hmm. Incredible defender in the outfield. Accurate, strong arm. Talk about your all-around game. Because I remember I played with Ken Griffey Jr. in Cincinnati. And he didn't want to be known as a home run hitter. And it's amazing the no. greats 
like yourself and Junior, you guys want to be known as a complete player because that's exactly what you guys were. Well, that's what my godfather was. That was my father. You know, there's a five tool and there was a six tool and that was this. And it was how how good you can make this. Because we already had the tools. We were, we were, you know, we were gifted as, you know, like I say, you're born to that, right? A little bit. And, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm, better than i mean i thought vladimir girl was the best talented athlete i ever seen as far as throwing the ball running as fast as he did and swing and you know physique and body you know when when and but there was things he chased that i didn't chase you know it was a little thinking process that but you know i i wanted to be like my godfather movie that was the only dream i ever had since i was five years old since i was a baby was it to have his approval of me as a baseball player um and taking a lot of walks and like you said and stealing that was part of the game and you know like I try to tell people I wasn't like the best off the field person you know like I mean when it came off field I was loner to myself I didn't really hang out with anybody I wasn't you know like all da 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 in the clubhouse whatever else but on the field I was the best teammate you could ever have because I played the game the way you wanted it to be played I took walks I could have swung at a lot of pitches and not gave Bobby Bo or Kent or whoever else behind me a chance to swing the bat, but that wasn't, that's not how the game's supposed to be played. I took the walks. I still second to get on base and, and score a run. The name of the game is to score more runs than the, your opposition, right? And your time will come. If you don't take walks as a hitter, you're going to dig a hole. Your body can only maintain that for so long. You're going to fatigue. You're going to get tired. And so if you don't take the walks and change the mindset of doing other things and then come back to that, you're gonna get you're 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 gonna go like this too much, and 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 as a hitter, you're always gonna ride that roller coaster, that slump roller coaster. I call it. It's those that realize the slump is coming. We all know that. I only panicked when I was hitting good because that that window's like this. That slump is like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm trying to just minimize that slump right that that little guy right here, the one that's gonna irritate me and frustrate me the most. And so that is, was the name of the game. It was just like, how do I control this guy? This guy was cocky. This guy's head was this. This guy felt like he was invincible, but that window was this big. Been there, done that. But this guy right here is the one that makes you want to jump off the bridge and wonder why you're playing and what's oh, going I, oh, on. Oh, Barry, I know, I know that guy all too well. <laughs> Trust me, I know that guy. <laughs> exactly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I know you've seen me drinking out of this white Yeti cup, and you're probably wondering, what is he drinking in that cup? Well, what I'm drinking has been provided by today's sponsor, Futures Hero Antioxidant Coffee. Futures Hero is not just a great tasting coffee, which it is, but it is brewed with the patented Healthy Roast technology, which retains 75%, Jerry, 75% of the naturally occurring antioxidants from the green coffee bean. Uh, it comes in whole bean, ground, tea bags, and cold brew, and they're coming out with a, a dark roast here soon. Futures Hero Antioxidant Coffee, the healthy roast that's good for you, can be found at futureshero.com. Thank you, Futures Hero, for the amazing coffee and the sponsorship. Let's talk about this off-the-field guy because I'm going to tell you a story, Jerry. It's, I'm going to try to keep it brief because I know we have other things to talk about and Barry probably needs to go soon. But this is about the off-the-field guy. 
I was playing baseball at UC Riverside. I got my scholarship and I, you know, a full ride, got my books paid for and everything. And that was a humble brag just to let everybody know that I played college baseball Thank on you. a full ride scholarship, <laughs> Jerry. Uh, but I went into the bookstore and I, I got my books for the first semester and I, I put my check down on the uh, on the counter and the lady behind the desk says, hey, you must be on the basketball team. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm on the baseball team. She said, oh, wow, they got a black boy on the baseball team. And I was like, yeah, yes, ma'am, they do. She's like, oh, you must be pretty good. I'm like, well, I, I'm, you know, I think so. She says, well, my grandson plays baseball. And I said, oh, really? Professionally or college? She said, no, professionally. I said, oh, what's his name? She said, Barry. I said, Barry Bonds? She said, yeah, do you know him? I said, well, yeah, I, I know him. He's the reason I wear number 24 because he was with Pittsburgh at the time. He, and, and she said, well, maybe one day I'll, you know, I'll connect you guys and you can meet him. And I was like, I would love that. Fast forward, she connected us. He gave me a call and invited me down to his home to come work out before my first spring training. All through that offseason, before spring training, I would drive down to his house. We would lift weights. We would play catch in his front yard, and then we would drive to the batting cages. Right before my flight, maybe two days, three days before my flight to uh, West Palm Beach for spring training for the first time, a giant box shows up from Nike. And I'm like, what is this? And I open the box, and there's a card inside. It says, Stephen, good luck in your first spring training. You're ready your friend, Barry Bonds. And it was all shoes and batting gloves and all kinds of stuff from Nike. This is the guy the guy is off the field. This is the guy who took time to take a college guy under his wing, teach me things that I didn't even learn in college. And I was a team leader in hitting in college, back-to-back -back seasons. And he taught me so much that prepared me for professional baseball and then sent me a gift when he had his own spring training to worry about. That's the guy that we're talking about now. So, Barry, I want to give you your flowers now about that. That was the, one of the greatest things of my life. I truly appreciated you for that, and I'll never forget that. I'll never forget you for that. And, you know, testimony to the, the guy that he is, we're still friends 25 years later. So thank you, Barry, for that and, and everything Steven, that you've Steven done for me. Steven just don't understand that I was under pressure with my grandma. <laughs> You were what? <laughs> I said, you, I said, Stephen didn't know that my, I, I was under pressure with my grandma. <laughs> oh, well, hey, whatever it was, I'm cool with it. I'm, you know, I got a my chance to. Said, boy, you better take care of that boy right there. I said, I got you, mama. It's okay. I got it. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was we've amazing. We've been friends ever since, too. I mean, we've been friends our whole life. I mean, from the day we met. Yeah, and absolutely. That, that testimony to. Who, who gets who on the golf course? Who gets who on the golf course? We've only played twice, once or twice, I think. I went to his tournament, played once, and I, I don't know if we played somewhere else, though, but he's pretty good. I, I don't really play golf that often, so I'd have to say Stephen will beat me. But he hits the golf ball as far as anybody you've ever seen, oh, no, and seen it, it sounds like he's hitting a baseball bat. Now, listen, one thing I have to say, with all the numbers that I rattled up, and, and Barry, if, after I say mm -hmm. this, if you want to pass on this, you let me know, but I, let me say this. With all the numbers that I rattled off at the top of this show, anybody mm -hmm. who knows anything about sports or baseball in particular would say that any Hall of Fame that doesn't have that man in it is a joke. It's a travesty. It is revi revisionist history. It's similar to what 
people do when they eliminate certain parts of history from our history books that we give our children to placate and satisfy some groups of people. I want to know if what's going on with the Hall of Fame and all of that with you bothers you at all, like it bothers me, or are you so secure in who you were as a player that you know that, okay, this is not about me as a player and my skill level or my numbers. This is about the popularity with, my, with me amongst writers and, you know, that, be that as it may. If you don't want to answer that, pass on it. No, if you I do. Know, like I say, see, if I'm in the hype, it, it's a little bit of both. Okay, so, you know, honestly, it's a little bit of both. Yeah, does it bother you? Sure, you're, I'm human. I'm not... You know, I'm not some wall sitting up here and don't care. Sure, it bothers it bothers you, but at the same time, I also don't know who I am. And you know, the thing is, is that you know, people have to understand something. Is that the fact of is that I was vindicated. I went to the court. I was in federal court, and I won my case, one hundred percent. Where is the vindication of me in my own sport? That's what bothers me. Not so much whatever. I mean, obviously they don't like me. That's fine. Okay, we don't like each other. I love you now. I mean, we don't like each other at the time. It's fine. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lot older, mature, more more better for it now than I was back then. Um, but when you go to court, what's the court? Is is, is the media our, our judge and jury, or is true facts of what goes on in one's life? I was vindicated. I was. I was convicted of obstruction of justice of a sentence that was overturned, not for anything else, a sentence. Um, rambling is what they called it. And I appealed that charge and I won. I'm not under federal. I'm not a criminal of any kind. I'm not anything. Major League Baseball, the records are still there. You know, and I, I try to tell everybody this. I mean, it doesn't matter who you, you are. And I don't care. If they want to judge athletes on performing enhancing drugs or not, it doesn't matter. Major League Baseball, and let's get this clearly and straight, has a, had a rule and has rules. Okay? Whether they were broken or not broken, there were rules, some rules. My era, there was no rules. In the era, they changed the rules in 2003 or 2004. Whenever the rules started to change, there was rules. There are some people that were convicted of those rules during the case of those rules. Well, Major League Baseball said, if you did X, you were suspended for X, right? The athlete was suspended for X. That means he missed time in baseball. He was punished for that. His numbers still are the same for based on what he's accomplished that does not prevent him from the other part of the, for getting into the Hall of Fame. has nothing to do with it. If Major League Baseball has punished you for whatever mistakes you made, whether you hit a pitcher, hit a person, you missed five games, or was performing enhancing drugs, you missed 50 games, or whatever that is, Major League Baseball already punished you for those stints. Why is Hall of Fame punishing you? Hmm. Doesn't make sense. It makes zero sense that you're being double punished for something that you've already been punished for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there are a lot of guys in the in the hall that have had you know questionable things on their on their resumes as well. You know, some spitballers, other guys who have been accused of taking performance enhancing drugs and that kind of thing. So 
I really appreciate you answering that as honestly as you did. And, you know, I you know, I love you, man. And I, I didn't I would never want to put you in a position to say anything you didn't want to say. But I'm glad that you did, because it's bothered me for a long time. I'm sure that you see every time that it comes around and I post something about it. You know, I I. I speak my mind. I've been on Sports Illustrated TV talking about it. I've been on ESPN talking about it. It really bothers me. I really think that, you know, the the numbers speak for themselves. The numbers that you put up in Pittsburgh before any of that was in was, you know, an accusation would have gotten you into the Hall of Fame 85, 95% of the time anyway. So, it's not over, Steve. Let's not say it's over. There there Every three years it comes up. There is a possibility. And I I belong with my teammates in that Hall of Fame for 100%. And it, it I'm not going to jade it out. I'm not going to sit there and say the, the dream is still there as long as there is a ballot for it. It could happen when I'm don't. It can happen when I'm 60. It can happen when I'm 70. It can happen whenever. Hopefully, you know, you don't have to wait that long or I, hopefully I'm not dead. You know. You know, the things that bother me the most about these things is as far as being an African-American, my heroes, my my black brothers that came through the game are all gone. They're all not here. They I don't get to stand with them. Um, the the people that I were my mentors. Right. Willie's old. Right. Right. McCovey's gone. Joe Morgan's gone. Um, I can go on and on with all the people that are gone. Frank Robinson gone. There, there's a lot um, of my idols that you know are not there. I hope my mom is still around. If it does happen, you know, I don't know. My mom could be dead. It could never happen. You know, if it never happens, it never happens. But. In the scheme of it, I'm going to believe that at some point it will happen. And I'll be able to say thank you to my African-American brothers that were before my time that came up and, and mentored me and, and gave me a path to Major League Baseball. I can say thank you to Yeah, well, I, I, I truly hope that that happens. And, and it's, you know, obviously it goes without saying that it's deserved. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about on a, on, a, on a lighter note is the fact that you are you have really gotten into a lot of stuff in your in your retirement. You're you know, you're big into cycling and, and camping now. How did you yeah. how did you get into the cycling thing? And I, you, I think you told me you cycle like 50 miles a day or something like that. I cycle about 30 yeah, you know, it's an average of two hours, two and a half hours, two hours, you know, wow. a lot. Camping was by accident because I put my foot in my mouth. But I love it. I love that, you know. But cycling is, it's, it, it, it gave me to be able to train in space. You know, baseball, your knees are beat up, your body's beat up, you know, you're just, but I like to train. I don't care. I'm in my gym every day to this day. I'm on my tournament. You know, I got a tunnel. I'm in my other gym, my gym's working out all the time. I ride a bike, but that's who you are. I can't explain to people. And I try very hard. That is who I am. I, I'd rather be in the gym and out on my bike with people and training than anything else in my life. It's just who I am. I, I enjoy it. I have a passion for it. 
the it's it's hard to explain but camping was just i fell into that over COVID. a friend of mine daniel gave me a little checklist you know i was so negative like oh camping that's the four seasons you know over big head me going i'd stay at the shoot i'll be at the marriott i'm not staying out the ground and then and i, I and i'll tell you this story because it, it, it's really really funny because he told me he said if i could check off all your negative boxes Without you saying a word, the only thing you can do is say check. Will you go camping? I said, if you can do check off my box, I'm I'll buy I'll buy a truck and I'm gone. <laughs> and you know, my words bond if I say that. You bet baseball, you gotta keep it, right? So he says, Tell me this. He says, Have you ever gone to the bathroom outside your lifetime? Check. He says, Have you ever had to take a shower or anything, rinse off or anything outside? Check. He said, have you ever had a barbecue grilled or anything outside? I said, check. He said, and I'm thinking there's something in here. He can't get this one. He's never going to get this one, just to make it short. At the very end of it, he says, hey, Barry, have you ever been in a hotel or motel that was just so bad you couldn't take it and you left? I said, check. He says, if you don't like it, son, drive away. <laughs> and I was like, mate. I'm screwed and I got to go. So he checked off all that negative box in my head. And I couldn't believe he got it because I was thinking, oh, no, I ain't sleeping on the ground. He said, if you ever, you know, you slept in a tent with your, you know, friends outside, sleepovers. Yeah, sleeping bag. Yeah, you know, all this stuff. So I did it. I loved it. It was amazing. I never seen anything, you know, places that, you know, waterfalls that are coming that you couldn't get there unless you drove. Um, and I met some really good, fun people that I would have never met in my entire lifetime if I didn't dive in. And so it's been a great experience. I love it. I have my Bronco Raptor all laid out. And my tent and have Barry, I would at love, first I would it was love a, to see a Land Rover Discovery. I, I would love to see you with a headband, you know what I'm saying, with the with the Rambo knife going out hunting, spear spear fishing and and and, and hunting a boar. I hunt. My animals are right there. My hunting animals are on my wall. I hunt. That's that's no secret. <laughs> I've been to Africa. I've got a, I got a bunch of animals from hunt, hunting. I bow hunt, and I got to thank Ryan Klesko for that because Ryan Klesko was when he got me into hunting. He took me to his house to go skeet shooting one time, and I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. And I went over there. He said you could do it, and we went hunting. And Ryan Klesko was the one who took me my first hunt, and ever since then I've been hooked. That's crazy. Ryan told me in uh, spring training when, when I was with the Braves, he was with the Braves. I said, hey, man, give me some advice as a hitter. He said, swing hard in case you hit it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. Rhino, too. He does that all the time because he used to swing hard and just go. I said, dude, just close your eyes. You ain't hit <laughs> <laughs> he was he's a good man. Yeah. He's a really good man. And, you know, he's a good dude. I love Klesko. That's I lost to Klesko in your tournament, Barry. You, you had that uh, poker tournament in spring training. I think it was 2004. Five or six, Clesco Cle yeah, yeah. got me in, on the poker table. Yeah. <laughs> That's what all of us thought we were poker kings. We suck. <laughs> I really appreciate you doing this, man. It, you know, like I said, you've done a lot for me in life, and and this is just another, uh, you know, thing on my tab of things that I owe you for, man. I really appreciate you being here, and this was a great conversation. On behalf of us, man, we want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it, listen, I played against a lot of great players. You, by far, are the best uh, player I've ever seen. You and Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, player, not home run hitter, player. You could right. do it all. So Yeah, great. Junior is, is, is very special. That kid did get hurt. It would be probably unbelievable what everyone would have seen. Absolutely. Barry, 
unbelievable. Uh, hey, man, I want to thank you. And on behalf of Stephen Bishop, Barry Bonds, this is Jerry Hairston Jr. for Hollywood Swinging. <laughs>